Welcome to Beyond Medicine. My name is Rami Webby. I'm the host of the podcast. I'm a physician with a particular interest in healthcare innovation, building a better healthcare experience, and overall health and well-being. In this podcast, we bring you inspiring leaders from across the medical landscape to help us build a better medicine and lead a better life. We hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today I'm joined by Dr. Eric Dixon, who's a professor of emergency medicine and the CEO at UMass Memorial Hospital. The reason I asked Dr. Dixon to join me today was because I worked with him earlier in the year in the COVID tents. And I thought, wow, it's really weird that the hospital CEO is working and volunteering his time in the COVID tents with me, a resident. Uh, I presented my patients to him. He mentored me and I was really inspired and I thought, you know, we probably need more doctors in leadership positions because it seems like we're doing things pretty well here. So one thing led to another, Dr. Dixon and I got to talking and we finally agreed on a time to sit together and do a podcast. So basically today we're talking about physician leaders and why we need more physician leaders in medicine. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy. What's up, everybody? I'm with Dr. Dixon, and we are going to be talking all about physician leaders, physician leadership. Um, I had the I had the great privilege of working with Dr. Dixon earlier in the year um, in the COVID tents, and um, you know I thought it's not every day you get to work with the CEO of your hospital uh, in the tents on the front lines. So, Dr. Dixon, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. So. Dr. Dixon, before we jump into everything, and there's kind of a few things I want to talk to you about, um, uh, one being like how you got into becoming a, a leader in, in healthcare and how you, you know, grew to become the CEO of UMass, but also, um, you know, uh, a few things about the COVID response, how we handled it really well, I think, here at UMass, um, and then kind of touching on why it's important for physicians to... Um, to be in leadership positions in healthcare. Um, but I guess just, you know, jumping back here, maybe you can tell us a little bit about your uh, journey, your background, and, you know, how you got started. I'd be happy to. And yeah. uh, so I was born and raised in Massachusetts, Burlington, Mass, for anybody, Red Devils out there. Um, did not go into college uh, when I got out of high school. I went to, to the Army instead and had plans to be a helicopter pilot. Um, but I failed my flight physical because of my seated height. And it turns out you can't be 6'5 and be a helicopter pilot. Or, uh, some rules yeah. in and around that in the, in the Army. And instead, they moved me into uh, becoming a combat medic. Um, and this is in the 80s, and it was a time of peace, not what combat medics are doing now. And so at the age of 19, um, you know, people are calling me Doc in an infantry group. And I said, geez, I really kind of like that, right? You're, <laughs> Carrying yeah. this big pack and you're taking care of soldiers, mostly for you know, um, sprained ankles uh, here and there and nothing nothing too bad during that time. Um, was blessed with my time with the Army and they t- actually trained me as a respiratory therapist as well, oh, wow. uh, running ventilators, um, which is where I picked up kind of my first trade. And it was during that that I said, you know, I, I think I want to go to med school and um, went on uh, to... Thankfully, got into the state's only public medical school, UMass, the best medical school in the country from my perspective, uh, which is just 
a godsend uh, for me to, to have such a great school here in Massachusetts that was affordable because otherwise I don't think uh, that that dream could have come true. And uh, so I went to med school here after working at, at the same hospital as a respiratory therapist that I ultimately now uh, lead and really became enamored with research. And I was just fascinated with uh, physiology, pulmonary physiology, did some pretty crazy things with human liquid ventilation trials that oh, turned wow. out not to work. But I just loved research and I, I had a, a, a knack for it. And about five years after finishing my residency in emergency medicine, um, I was offered the position of the founding chairman of the Department of Emergency Medicine at the University of Iowa. So it was like very, very early in my of my career, and it was because of research. and um, And I went there to build the best emergency medicine research um, lab in the country. That was my stated goal. Yeah. And when you become chairman of a department, you don't just run the research; you have to run the clinical operations and uh, and the educational piece as well. And the the clinical operations were a complete mess. And my wife, who was two years ahead of me in residency, who obviously came with me to Iowa, um, my chief resident, and uh, you know knew it. And so there was stress not only at work but at home because she didn't like working in that ER. And I had no idea how to fix it. Mm -hmm. And it was just not my strength. It was not where my experience was. I was a researcher. Um, and then I found the 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 science of management and really recognized that I could take my my love of doing experiments and bring it to managing a department. And, um, and since that time, uh, I've just been running bigger and bigger things over the years and apply this same methodology of continuous experimentation and uh, to, to managing an organization. And so it was, you know, the Department of Emergency Medicine and did a good job there. And then COO of the hospital um, in Iowa. Back here, I came back to Massachusetts and um, took really a lower level job in this organization below even being a department chair. Um, and just applying that methodology, um, became president of the physician group here, which is all the instructors, your clinical instructors, uh, about 1,100 employed docs. And did that for two years, and then eight years ago, they said, "Would you be CEO of the system?" Um, and I, I have to admit, I you know, I used to say, "I don't know how I keep on getting these positions." Like, <laughs> if they knew what a fraud I was, because you're always, "Boy, can I really do that? Can I really run that?" Um, and then you know, I, I got this last job, and I just said, "You know, I got to give myself some credit. I must be doing something right." And and that's oh, for me, it boils down to. You got to deliver results for your organization, and, and you got to treat people with respect, um, or or else you're not going to get the results you want. But as you look to move from position to position, there'll be somebody there that will speak badly of you, and will block you from from moving up. And uh, and and that's that's the message uh, that I give to every you know junior physician executive is um, you're going to have to deliver results here and you're going to have to do it in a way that treats people with respect. Mm -hmm. And um, because if you don't do either one of those things, you're not going to have a very successful career as a physician executive. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And, um, you know, I think that what do you think it is about, you know, being in your position as a physician? Because a lot of people in your leadership role may not have the background that you have as a physician. Does that help you relate to the organization, to the people that work in the organization in a way that really helps you, you know, push the, you know, create create better results in your in organizations? It, I, right now, going through COVID, I, I say I can't imagine not being a physician going through this, right? And, I, and I'm a lot closer to it than my colleagues. I, you know, uh, was intubated a patient uh, just a few, you know, I guess it was two weeks ago now, my last ER shift with one of the residents that was COVID positive. And mm-hmm. there's not too many CEOs that are telling that story or working, <laughs> right. working in the COVID tent every Sunday night yeah. uh, during the first surge. Um, and you know, uh, that's just me. And I, I, so I think if you understand the medicine part and you understand the business part, you can be hugely successful. And I, I really, my colleagues that don't understand the medicine and just how a hospital works from the end user, a doctor point of view, yeah. they're at a real disadvantage. And there's some of that do amazing work and they usually do it because they have a great physician partner, either in yeah. a chief physician executive or a uh, a, a chief medical officer, but I, I got to say one of the you know the things that happened to you early in your life form you and in the early days of um, my career in in the army, I was covering um, the Green Berets were dropping at Fort Devens and I was in the infantry group and ran the ambulance and they said we want you to be on site in case somebody gets hurt and yeah. thankfully nobody got hurt and. Uh, and beautiful just to to watch them drop out of those a- airplanes, an amazing thing. But then they have to police the field, which is cleaning the field. And um, there was one guy with us, somebody else was taking care of him, maybe had a sprained ankle. And uh, I saw a full bird colonel out there policing the field next to you know, a sergeant. And I said, I can't, I never saw a colonel police a field before, right? <laughs> And you're picking up at cigarette butts and trash and everything, leaving the area clean. And he said he that guy would never ask us to do something he wouldn't do himself. And I think that's like the, one of those key lessons. And as a physician, it's really easy to do that often. So when COVID hit, it's like, you know, uh, my board said, well, maybe it would be better if you stop seeing patients because like we need you. Yeah, uh, and we, you know, we don't want you to get COVID and not be able to run the organization. And I'm like, no, I can't ask our people to go in and do that if Love I that. won't do it. Yeah. When I was at the University of Iowa, we started putting physicians on the helicopter, and it was a, you know, we didn't hadn't had it, and it displaced some people. But I thought it was really important. The, the program was failing size wise, and we wanted to grow it, and we wanted to get out and reach and and um. You know, it's like, well, who's going to be the first one to go on the helicopter? And, you know, with, without even thinking about it, that's going to be me, right? So mm-hmm. it kind of, then the rest of the docs said, oh, okay, you know, if Eric's going to do this, I'll do this. And it is it has served me extremely well that every time there's a bad job that I can do, that I do it. And I know there'll be jobs out there that I can't, um, and I need to ask somebody else to take the lead. But I think fundamentally in leadership, I mean, you know, 
these are opportunities to um, show your people that you're not going to ask them to do something that that they would that you wouldn't do yourself. And I think that's really important. Yeah. Absolutely, especially with during COVID, um, you know, it. To your point, you know, like you that that's I think that's one of the reasons that you're a great leader. It's that you are willing. You're not willing to ask others to do something you wouldn't be willing to do. Um, and so I, I know for me when I was, so I was a resident, um, you know, when, when we were really getting the peak of COVID, I, we, we, our family medicine program had taken up some, uh, shifts in the COVID tent and I had yeah. the opportunity to work with you. And I didn't, I wasn't, ex I wasn't expecting until the day before I was like, oh, wow, I'm going to be working with the hospital CEO in the tents. I didn't know you were working shifts at that time. Um, and to me, that was like, you know, that, that sent a good message that, you know, um, you know, we're not, we're not in this alone right now where the conversation around the country at the time was, you know, we're getting all these pats on the back from people, um, as, and, and, you know, the, the, I, the, the conversation going around was that the execs were in the suites and we were on the front lines and they were giving us these pats on the back that like, yeah, but what are you doing? And I think you set the example here that, no, we're, you know, we're all in this together and I'm on the front lines with you guys. And I think that alone sends a really strong message to the community, to the, to the people involved that, you know, you know, we're all in this together. Yeah. And I, and it, it's, um, I was grateful that I had the opportunity to take care of patients in this, uh, situation. Um, it, Frankly, I wouldn't have wanted to miss a pandemic, right? And it, it's, yeah. it's sad. And one of our disaster medicine folks said to us, you know, we don't want this to be happening, but you don't train to be a firefighter to take cats out of trees. Like if there's a fire, you want to help and you want to be able to make a difference. And, you know, for me, you go to medical school, you go to residency, you train. I just recertified in emergency medicine and take my boards. And it's like, I don't want to set this out. Yeah. And so there was a little bit of it. It was for me, and and some people would still say, "Was was it the best decision?" You know, uh, in the end, I didn't get COVID, so thankfully, um, and I you know reused my mask like everyone else, and I don't think we got as much complaint, any complaints about um, PPE and things like that. In no. part because you know I was out there yeah. doing everything, the same thing I was asking from others. Yeah, no, I think I I was really like because being here, I I. You know, we had PPE right away. We had masks at the front door. We, you know, we didn't have a great supply like everybody else, but I thought we were doing way better than, you know, my, the hospitals that my friends were at or like the stories they were telling me. I couldn't relate because they, they were, um, I felt like they were way behind in terms of where we, I, I felt very fortunate being here essentially because um, I thought that we had a good handle on things and, for whatever reasons those were, I'm sure your leadership played it played a role into that. Um, but yeah, I felt very fortunate here. I felt that we were um, supported. There wasn't like the there wasn't the same conversations that I was hearing from my friends or other people, whether it be on social media or elsewhere, in terms of how things were being handled in the hospital. Mm. You know, nobody was being silenced. Nobody was being you know disregarded. People were being listened to. I felt like I felt, I felt in a way that we were doing a, a good job here. I think that you know the team overall did a great job. Um, I thought 
you know, there were people that uh, particularly shined. And I uh, remember um, Matthias Walls, who is our chairman of anesthesia, brand new chair, by the way, was asked to lead the critical care aspects of our response. And uh, he, there was one unit, it was tired, it was crammed, it was an old uh, post-op space that we used to, you know, we had offices in there, we had to tear them all out and it had oxygen in the wall, so we had to use it. <clears throat> and it just was a very uncomfortable place for our our staff. And he said, geez, is there any chance, you know, you'd send him a note? And I said, I don't want to send him a note, I want to go up and see him. Yeah. Right. And um, so he and I went up and we we talked to him, we thanked him. We we said, I said, oh my God, I just never realized how crammed this area was. So sorry, we'll try to get this closed down as soon as we can. And just being out there with them and being on a COVID unit with them. Um, and, you know, I obviously, you know, as one of a new physician executives, you're kind of watching people, coaching them and mentoring them. And I, I said to Matthias, I, I just said, like, anytime that you get a complaint from the people that are on the front lines, <clears throat> don't send them a note. You get up and you get out of your chair and you go see them. And, yes. And I, you know, I saw um, Justin Precord, our CNO uh, at the medical center, do the same thing. There was a unit that was particularly hit hard. And um, he said, would you come up with me? And, and he, he would only been here for about a year when mm -hmm. COVID hit and everyone knew him. And, you know, just walking through the unit with him, I knew, and, and he's got, uh, you know, 6,000 nurses that work for him. And so being here for a short period of time, he walked through the unit, he knew the people. And the fact that he came up there and I came up there with him, I think made it made a big difference. And you know, the, and just this, these opportunities—I call them pearls in leadership—that um, sometimes you don't see. But uh, it's a gift when somebody wants to complain to you, and and that situation when you can come see them, talk to them, see the situation yourself, try to help solve that problem—that becomes a very loyal employee. Exactly. Um, and even if you don't solve what they're complaining about, it's still that they they see that someone's listening to them, someone's looking out for them, they're being heard, and that creates a sense of loyalty and a sense of you know someone's hearing me here. We're not just we're not just employees and they're over there and we're over here. No, like someone's coming over, listening to me, and making sure that I'm being heard here. And whether you whether you know whether you create a great solution or you know at least try to find a solution is really what what people care about and i think that's the big disconnect right now and what breaks my heart in medicine is that there's um there's a disconnect between the leadership and what we like call administration and the actual employees the doctors uh the nurses the techs the entire staff in other hospitals uh, across the country and you know especially where i did my rotations back home as a student um, I, I kind of like saw that a lot. Um, and so one of the reasons I was inspired by you and why I wanted to reach out was exactly for that reason, because I saw and I heard like, you know, when I talked to other people in the hospital and like, you know, they, your name came up, people always had good things to say. And, you know, that to me says a lot about the culture and the environment of a hospital or the leaders in it, because there is a pulse to where things are at. You know, there's a pulse of what people feel about the organization or the leaders in the organization. 
you know, if, if you're not a well, if you're not someone who is, you know, care, who cares about the employees, but you're just a great leader, you know, people are going to have things to say in that regard. It's, it's a lot of people feel like, well, so you know, running a $3 billion a year in revenue system with 14,000 employees that um, the job is operations and understanding where everything's going and the finance. Um, you know, in, in this position, number one job is communication, right? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I talk about people development, communication, strategic de- planning, and execution. Those are really the three things that I that I that I do. And it's probably that communication and people development uh, piece is the most important. I could probably give the strategic planning and execution to another member of the team to do it. Um, and so you, you spend time with people and the junior leaders that become your senior leaders and you set an example and, um, and, and, and that person will be with you for years. Sometimes they leave because they get great positions and especially in academic medicine, you have to be okay with it. You have to be proud of that. And Mm -hmm. when I left here, my chairman was very proud of me that I was going to be a chair and uh, Aaron Lazar, who is the chancellor, you know, sent me a not really nice note and um, uh, about having developed and get to that kind of role. Um, and I think you, you know, th- that almost should be your goal to develop people such that everybody else wants to recruit them. But you, that means you have to create the the loyalty, the relationship that the, that they want to stay with you. Yeah. And I think about that people development piece all the time. And, yeah. Um, have people that are, you know, I have bring along with me on projects that has nothing to do with their area. I, don't, I want you to just see how this goes and then give them something. Um, and I, I, the DCU, the field hospital, which has now become um, its top three busiest field hospitals in the country for COVID yeah. here, right here in little old Worcester. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, it's probably the most efficient because the others that have seen as many patients as them are like a thousand beds. We're two hundred beds. Yeah. And it, you know, I, one of the my what was my previous resident who's now our chief of disaster medicine, putting him in that situation and getting him set in the right direction, but then letting him do it and make the mistakes and making sure he feels comfortable coming back to me. It's what I'm, I'm, it's it's the best part of the job. You it know, is. watch this person. And I'm watching Johnson too as a resident uh, go through and develop into this senior leader. It's a wonderful, wonderful feeling. Yeah, and that's what I. You have to take joy in that people development piece. Um, And if you don't, then I don't know how you'd be successful in in this job. Yeah, I think there's a quote, um, something along the lines like, "Good leaders create good employees or followers, but great leaders create great leaders." Yeah. And you want to train people, you know, you want to invest in people to the degree that they become leaders themselves and then can, can be in a leadership position. It's, um, yeah. I, we had, uh, we have a new chair of medicine, just the outstanding, outstanding individual and um, had him and he's on the younger side, side as I was on in becoming a chair. And I brought him into this project and I said, watch this. I'm going to take completely control of this thing for about two weeks. And it was testing. It was our stop the spread initiative. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to let them go, and the team's going to be fine. And so the first few meetings, as it seems like, oh, the boss is going to be totally controlling here. And but what happened is now it's heading in the right direction. You have to give the people the autonomy they need to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And uh, I said, like in your new role, don't ever be afraid to take control of something that's not going well because you're you're saving them in some ways, a lot of work and headaches. But you got to make sure you um, you release them as well. I talk about tight, loose, yeah, tight when necessary. <laughs> And yeah. it's, you know, it's like when I was teaching my kids to ski, I, and I, they all learned when they were three and four years old, right? If I'm holding them up the whole time, they're not, um, they're not going to learn to ski. You got to let them go, but boy, you better go yeah. grab them before they crash into the tree. Yeah. I often feel with the, uh, with the new leaders that that's what I'm, I'm teaching them, you know, my little kids to ski again. Yeah. I'm, I'm relating to all of these things because I, 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 for the last three years, I've been doing this podcast. Um, and, uh, you know, I built a team of five people, uh, that helped me with, oh, that's great. yeah. So we, you know, it's a team effort and I, I started off doing everything on my own, but I started helping people get into specific roles and mentoring them and then giving them the autonomy to do things their own way. And so like all these things, you know, like even at a much smaller level still apply, um, it's, you know, I'll have to, I have to reflect on there's some things I did wrong early on in this job. Um, and, but there's some things I did right. And so I was walking in this morning at five 30 in the morning. I just was up early and wanted to get in and needed to catch up And my parking. And there was all these perfect parking spaces right by the door. And my parking space is the furthest one from the door and yeah. intentionally. And so I, I went through this thing. Do I want to park you know, in the number one <laughs> slot? And and walk in the cold, but it was my first week on the job where I came and you know my good friend and, and mentor that was previously in the role said, "All right, that's your slot now." And I said, "There is no way I'm parking in a slot right next to the door, and everybody else has to walk. I need a slot because I ha- I can't be driving around in circles looking for one and late for meetings." Yeah, and so. Um, but I, but I moved the, the parking spot furthest away from the door to make a point. Um, and people tell, still tell that story. And that, that, you know, that was the first week on, on the job. And the, and the, the other thing I did is we put signs in as you came from the parking lot. Most of them have fallen down now, and they don't need to be put back up because people have heard it um, enough. Thanks for taking great care of our patients and one another. And from day one, set the 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 culture here is we're going to take great care of our patients and one another and yeah. uh, because the lack of civility uh, uh, sometimes in medicine um where there's this hierarchy of not only you know doctor nurse uh nursing assistant respiratory therapist but even amongst what kind of doctor you are mm. and that this that I that I had to put it on people that we just we can't treat each other poorly yeah. And I think if you look at COVID, um, that's one. That's probably the thing I'm proudest of. The people were looking out for one another. Yeah. And you know, there, I had people tell me that they would cr- cry on the way to work, and that's hard to you know to to swallow as a CEO having to go back into the COVID units. But they always came in. And yeah. So you think about that person um, struggling at home to even get themselves in, and they come. And they're in a COVID unit, and they're worried about getting it, worried about bringing it on the family. And then you, especially as a physician, treat them poorly. Um, and sometimes it's just a slight thing. Um, 
you know, imagine what that, the, the impact that has on them. And I think just physicians have this opportunity um, with patients and with our coworkers to lead, right? Because everybody's looking at us as leaders. It, mm-hmm. You know, it's a physician order. And I know there are other providers that can write orders, but um, as a physician, you are a leader. You've chosen to become a leader, a leader in your community, a leader in your um, in, in your hospital or your clinic, wherever you work. Everybody's looking to docs for leadership. And you have a choice in life, what you're going to do with that. Um, and you know, I, I hope that everybody listening will choose to use whatever position you have, especially if you're a physician out there, to, to make this whole world a more positive place for everyone. And um, and I said, at eight years in, I don't really need to do it anymore. I always dream of going back to the academic faculty and spending more time, you know, teaching and clinical care and some research. But I just feel like, you know, I can get a lot of positive things done in this role. And, um, and that's, I think, ultimately why I hope others want, that your listeners want to lead, want to be in these roles. Um, because if you think the money's going to make it worthwhile for all the soccer games you're going to miss with your kids and everything else, it won't. But you can leave a very, very positive mark as a physician executive. So I hope uh, everyone will go out there and try and do that. Wow. Those are beautiful words, Dr. Dixon, um, and a beautiful message. And I'm inspired. I'm inspired by your parking spot story because that says a lot about you as a person. Um, and it makes me kind of aspire to also, you know, lead in that exa- by that example. And I think that's great. Um, we will, any, any parting words you want to say to our audience? I know you have a busy day. I just want to be respectful of your time. Any parting words uh, and where people can learn more about you or uh, learn more about the organization? Yeah, of course. Just go to umassmemorial.org and there's a site on there of the blogs that I've sent out and written. And I actually save them all because I think if I, my memoirs will be uh, over the years, the blogs I've written to our people because it's typically what we're thinking, what's going on, what, and often what I'm struggling with. But I, you know, I'll, I'll end where I started. If you want to be a position executive, if you want to be a leader in an organization, focus on two things, delivering results and doing it in a way that shows respect for people. Learning to deliver results is about project management. It's about management science. It's about understanding how things flow. And there's a lot out there uh, on it. Uh, Learning to treat everyone with respect is making sure you know the wake that you leave as you pass through this world and get feedback from people. And when they give it to you, make sure the first words out of your mouth are thank you. And if you do that, you'll continue to get feedback. You'll continue to grow as a leader and um, you'll enjoy your career. Because I've not only had a great career um, uh, from what I've been able to accomplish, but I I just have enjoyed every minute of it. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, do what you love. I'm doing what I love. That's great. I just want to end with one thing from, uh, you remind me of Dr. Stacy Potts, who is the program director in the family medicine department. Um, and she always says feedback is a great gift. Um, she, that's like her saying, she always says that feedback is a great gift. Um, so take it and use it well. So I'm just going to end on that note. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again for the opportunity. Thank you. And Dr. Good luck Dixon. to everyone out there. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. 
If you could take a screenshot of wherever you're listening, whether it be on Apple or Spotify, and post this on your stories on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, tag us at beyond underscore med or beyond medicine or BYND medicine. We spell it a few different ways in a few different places, but we would love to have you guys tag us and help us grow and spread the message and help us reach the people that need to hear this. So thanks again, guys. We hope to have you back soon.